It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad. home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Brought to you by Cam LLP Injury Lawyers. Representing injured people in Edmonton and across Alberta since 1962. On the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. In the second period, the Senators and Islanders are tied 1-1. The Flyers lead the Hurricanes 1-0. Vegas up 1-0 in Columbus. In the first period, Montreal leading Boston 1-0, and there is no score between the Kings and the Maple Leafs. Several games later, including the Coyotes in Calgary after Arizona scored an overtime victory here in Edmonton last night, and the St. Louis Blues are in Vancouver tomorrow. The Blues at Rogers Place. Bit of an unusual weekday start time for this one. It'll begin at 6.30. Our coverage with the face-off show on 6.30, Chad, will start at 5. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight reed wilkins inside sports on 6 30 ched very excited this evening also tonight we are giving away a brand new atari 2600 with your choice of game either dig dug or pitfall so it's uh, my apologies this promo is from 1981 my apologies that's what i get for working in halsey's office this afternoon all right, so the Oilers back at practice today after losing last night in overtime. Sam Gagne skating on the Oilers' top line. Of course, he played about the second half of the game there last night with Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid. Gagne back there at practice today, and he'll likely be there against the Blues tomorrow. Just trying to play hard on, uh, on both sides of the puck and... Um, you know, drive the play uh, into the offensive zone. You know, I think I've done a pretty good job of that. Um, you know, obviously, you got to find ways to produce, um, you know, especially playing with those two. But, uh, you know, I, I feel uh, confident in my game and just want to uh, keep playing hard no matter who I'm with. I've played in a lot of different roles throughout my career, and, uh, you know, I understand uh, kind of what makes me effective. Um, you know, I think uh, I need to make sure I'm skating and, and, uh, Winning races, winning, being hard on pucks, and winning battles, and and then kind of the rest take care of itself. So, um, you know, obviously two very skilled guys who uh, think the game at an unbelievable level, and uh, I think uh, for myself, um, you know, uh, in the couple periods I got with them last game, I felt pretty comfortable, and thought we made a lot of plays and drove play to the other team's end and got some chances, and just got to continue to build off that. 
A little bit there from Sam Gagne. You can reach out by texting 630-630. You can also call 780-496-0063. Davis texting in right off the top of the show says, Hey, Reed, I heard Sam Gagne will play with Leon and Connor tomorrow. Gagne on the Oilers' top line. What is this, 2013? I thought we knew long ago that Gagne is not a top-line player. Well... Davis, uh, they're trying to find somebody there. Cassian dropped off a little bit. Chason got a look, and it what didn't do much for him. And now Gagne is going to sh- get a shot. But, yeah, I, I mean, I hear you. It, it already has been an interesting journey for Gagne. He started the year in the minors, and then he came up to the Oilers, and he's pretty much played on every possible line. Yeah, I'm sure it'll change again. You know, it's just that's just the way it is. Um, but, yeah, I just... Um, you know, I, I focus on what I can control, and uh, you know, I don't think I've taken a step back uh, once this year in terms of my work ethic or um, my habits or my attitude, and um, that's all I can really control. So, uh, you know, obviously an exciting opportunity tomorrow um, if it does end up that way. But um, at the end of the day, it doesn't change anything for me. I, I have to continue to play um, the way I, I know I can play to be effective and uh, help this team get some wins. And here's what head coach Dave Tippett had to say about Gagne moving up. He jumped in there. He was playing well last night. He makes plays. Those guys need somebody that can make some plays with them. He jumped in there and started making some plays. Had a couple shifts in the second period there where they were real dominant, and uh, we started to take over the game, and that's Sam jumped in and was doing his part. So I've got a long history with Sam. You know, he's a he's a player that can give you spurts like that that uh, he looked good, and last night he looked good. The rest of the Oilers' lines at practice today, and they had 16 forwards on the ice. Nugent Hopkins was between Neal and Cassian. Haas, coming off his first NHL goal, centered Yurcho and Chason. So maybe Yurcho gets back into action tomorrow. Cave centered Kara and Patrick Russell. The fifth line, Shane Granlund and Archibald. Granlund has... Not been much of a contributor this season. Archibald's still on IR, but getting close. And uh, Riley Shane a bit banged up, but uh, he feels good enough to play if needed. And Joachim Nygaard skating in a non-contact jersey. So once Archibald and Nygaard are activated, they'll have to make some moves, but that's where they stand for now. Defensively, do not expect Joel Pearson to play tomorrow. He was benched for the second half of yesterday's game against the Coyotes. It looks like Brandon Manning would get back into action and uh, play alongside Matt Benning. So that's a quick look at the uh, Edmonton Oilers who were felled by the Coyotes. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Last night, impressive uh, little team they have there under Rick Tockett. We'll talk about that and more with Kelly Rudy when we get back. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins is brought to you by Cam LLP Injury Lawyers, representing injured people in Edmonton and across Alberta since 1962. This texter says, yeah, Gagne isn't a top-line center anymore, but he still has the ability to make some crafty plays. It can't hurt with Connor and Leon. 
And Richard also writes into 63630 and says, I like having Gagne on the top line. The fast, promising rookie thing has been tried to death. Why not a wily old veteran? We need somebody to take the puck out of the corners and pass it. And who better to know where a top line player is going to be than someone who was playing with them in the past? Or conversely, he can go to the net and receive a pass. Gagne can finish. That is from Richard to 630-630. Get more on Gagne and the latest on the Oilers on 630Ched.com, globalnews.ca, and more of your texts and feedback as we roll along. We will welcome back to the show our weekly guest, former NHL goaltender, now an analyst with the NHL on Rogers, the one and only Kelly Rudy. Kelly, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fantastic. Back in town. I think I was gone for a nine or ten day road trip, and so happy to be home for a few days. So a big uh, restaurant boom in spending for the cities you visit <laughs> but now no, you're now you're you back <laughs> Nor- normally that is the case and i know most people that uh, follow me on uh, twitter or instagram get to get to see my dinner uh options but i was kind of tired and run down this week and or last week and i was really low-key in fact this is a first for me in Toronto. I didn't even leave the hotel. I stayed in my hotel and just went to the hotel lounge and had a bite to eat. I was so tired. So wow. maybe I'm showing my age here, Reed. You're getting old. That's okay. That's okay, yep. Kelly. Yep. <laughs> You'll bounce back. Hey, uh, you got it. Mike Smith had a huge game against the Pittsburgh Penguins. He made 51 saves. The Oilers pulled it out in overtime on the weekend. So. I, uh, I did some looking on Hockey Reference, and I found a, a young Kelly Rudy, four times in his career, faced 50 or more shots in a game. You went 2-1-1 one, and one in those games, including an overtime win against Calgary, where uh, I believe it was Reichel scored with a second left in overtime to give you guys a win instead of what would have been uh, a tie at the time. A busy night for Mike Smith, a memorable game, and and you had a few uh, high-shot games against yourself. I think I remember uh, three of them. I I remember the Warren Reichel scoring. I want to say that was 1993. 394. Yep. Um, it might have been one of the last games before Christmas. I think then we went home and had uh, a game against Dallas at home, and I think we lost that one 2 1 or something. But one of the reasons why that game stands out to me is because there's all this conflict going on around the LA Kings. Uh, Barry Melrose was coaching. We had gotten rid of Marty McSorley. Uh, Barry was mad about that, and he, in my opinion at the time, was sort of pouting a little bit, not coaching as uh, well as he could have. So he and I had a bit of a confrontation after a game in Toronto on the Saturday, and then we had an off day. We flew to uh, Calgary on Sunday. We had a meeting in his hotel room that night, and he went after me really hard. I was the first guy he went after about how much better I had to play. So I was really... Uh, energized and pumped for that next game. I remember a game in Florida. I think it might have been the same year. We tied 2-2. We started at at home. We had a six-game homestand. Our first game was in Miami, in downtown Miami, in that terrible... uh, It was dangerous. Downtown Miami is dangerous in that terrible old arena. We tied 2-2, and there was one, I believe, at home versus New Jersey, I think that might have been my last year in L.A., and I, I don't recall the other one. How did I do? Did I Was I close to being spot on? You, you, you did exceptionally well. The one you're not remembering was December 5th, 1991. 
You uh, you made 45 saves on 50 shots. You lost in Chicago. Yes, you tied 2-2 in Florida, October 19th, 93. November 3rd, 93, you uh, beat New Jersey. And then the game, yes, December 20th, 93. So you actually had three of your 50-shot against games wow. in two months between October 19th and December 20th a night. No wonder Melrose was mad at the guys. You're getting outshot every game. <laughs> right, exactly. Man, that was, those were the good old times, Reed, when I didn't mind conflict. Like, I, right after the game in Toronto, I uh, I went right into the coach's room and, and uh, Cap Raider, one of our assistant coaches, was there and I went right after Barry. Like, I, I gave it to him good. And, uh, uh, I really respected him because he listened, and uh, and then he he became the coach that we had always uh, expected. After that, like he was really uh, after us and uh, on us, and wouldn't give us any uh, any break. And so, you know, every once in a while you got to do it. And I don't know if it still happens because it's a nicer world out there. But back then, you could you could really go at each other, and it was kind of a, a nice way to sort of settle things and then move forward. When you're facing a ton of shots in a game, obviously 50 is extreme, but I mean, I think if you're getting up over 35 or 40, your, your team's probably not defending very well and the goalie's getting peppered. What would your attitude be? Would you just kind of think, man, I hope they tighten it up? Or would you just think, hey, I got to be the star tonight. I, I got to win it. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove whatever. I'll stop 45 and the other, they'll, I'll, the other guy's only going to stop 20 and I'll yep. beat him. You got to accept it, and you got to uh, rise to the challenge. And uh, but trust me, in the intermission, going back to again having those honest conversations, I would be pretty blunt with the guys about wh what's happening in front of me. But once the uh, once you're back on the ice, then you're you're in uh, you're really focused, just kind of like Mike Smith was. I watched that game Saturday before I went over to the studio uh, for the uh, the broadcast that night. And you could see how dialed in, how dialed in he was. Like it was really fun to watch. And there was that glove save, I believe, in the third period. And I thought, I, I don't think there's any chance that anything's going to beat him, unless, of course, it's deflected or a lucky break or something. I just, it was really fun to watch. Kelly Rudy joining us tonight on Inside Sports, former goaltender, now broadcaster. All right, so the, the Oilers lost last night in overtime to Arizona. And, uh, man, the Coyotes are an interesting. I mean, obviously they have some very good players. I, I wouldn't say they have the star power of some other teams, but they're they're right up in the standings. They've been a very – I would describe them as a very pesky opponent, especially since Rick Tockett took over as coach. Well, and you hit the nail on the head, Reed. That's what I was going to talk about, just Rick Tockett. I think for that organization, that might be one of their most important hirings. And, uh, you know, you've, they've got some really good players now in Kessel, and uh, their goaltenders are playing great. Uh, Ekman Larson, I think, is just a world-class defenseman. Uh, Keller's a good young player. But more than anything, I think it's uh, Rick Tockett's coaching style. Like, when, when I played with him, I first met him in the 87 Canada Cup together when we were playing for uh, – Canada, but and I, I really got to like him. I, I didn't know him before, but he was uh, a rival of ours when he was playing for Philadelphia, and I was with the Islanders. And I, I really knew him to be a really tough guy, but I didn't know he was actually really funny and and all these other qualities that he had. But what? And then when he played with us in LA, he was a really for that skill level, really high scoring uh, right winger. 
and he really liked the offensive side of the game. And so that was kind of interesting to watch his development as a coach. I think one of the great things that happened to him is he had a chance to work with Mike Sullivan. And, and Sullivan's a real detail-oriented coach, and I really saw a change in talk that he went from being a guy that, uh, yeah, he, he, he wants the guys to run a little bit and use their creativity, but also you've got to really understand when you can be creative. And, and he even talked about that to today in his press conference here in Calgary that, yeah, he certainly doesn't mind guys trying things, but it's all situational. So you can't try something. You can't try a, a pass between the defender's uh, legs or in his feet if it's if the situation isn't quite right and if it's going to be an outman attack the other way. So I just love the way in which they, uh, they play. They go for a chance when it's there. Like Schmaltz last night, I was... I was blown away. I watched that play, the step and goal, about 10 times. My wife had gone to bed, and I was really watching a lot of hockey last night. And I thought, okay, so James Neal is entering the Coyotes' uh, zone. The puck kind of gets away from him. And the very second that Schmaltz recognized that, you notice how quickly he turned up the ice and headed back towards the Oilers' zone? I was like, wow, this guy's got a real great understanding of the game of hockey and then he laid a perfect pass over to Stepan. but yeah I think I give a lot of credit to uh, Rick Tockett for the Coyotes success. Okay you mentioned James Neal who has a pretty good goal total for the Oilers there's that clause in the in the trade that if he outscores Lucic by 10 or more if, if he gets to 20 and outscores Lucic by uh, 10 or more the Oilers uh, also got to give up a draft pick here. Uh, I guess the big story for Lucic has been the suspension. It's somewhat similar to when he, when he went after Matthew Joseph of the Lightning last year, except he got Sherwood much uh, cleaner. He was kind of sticking up for his goaltender, so I, I wonder what you thought of that yeah. play. Well, and, and Lucic, I'll get to that play in a sec, but Lucic did something similar uh, earlier in the year. Well, it was the first game of the year, in fact. Uh, one of the players, I want to say it was, uh, might have been Zarnik or Mangiapane, got hit in the corner by Zadorov, the big defenseman of uh, Colorado, and Lucic went right after him. And Zadorov wanted no part of it. And it was rather embarrassing for Zadorov, if you ask me. This play was different because it was after the whistle, and I thought uh, Cole Sherwood... Uh, I thought that's a dangerous play. If you stick your stick in there, and whether you want to call it slashing or spearing or whatever, that's dangerous. And you can break a goalie's finger, or, or you could do something that that's unwarranted. So what Lucic did, I, I really uh, I thought that, okay, great. Uh, he's sticking up for his goaltender, and I thought the officials at the game got the call right. If I'm not mistaken, Reed, they gave him a double minor for roughing. I can live with that, but I was also suspecting uh, that the league would come down harder on him simply because it's a, a different league now, and uh, maybe because of the hit to the head. Uh, Lucic even talked about that today, that if he had to do it all over again, he maybe wouldn't have gone to uh, Sherwood's head in that same way. So. Uh, I think everybody's just trying to figure out this league and what to do, and I, I don't think that Sherwood will do something ridiculous like that again. Because that, like I said, that's a late play, it's a dangerous play, and there's no room for that in today's game. Kelly, there's always room for you on this show. We'll talk to you again next week, buddy. <laughs> okay, thanks, Reed. Have a great night. That is Kelly Rudy, our weekly guest here on Inside Sports. Pretty good memory with those 50-shot-against games. He went 2-1-1 one, and one in those. 
This portion of Inside Sports presented by Furnace Family. Experience the Furnace Family difference. Your furnace replacement specialist with over 500 five-star Google reviews. Call 7804-FAMILY or visit FurnaceFamily.com. More of your feedback about Gagne to the top line. And St. Louis Blues play-by-play voice Chris Kerber as they get ready to face the Canucks tonight and then the Oilers tomorrow. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins is brought to you by Cam LLP Injury Lawyers. Representing injured people in Edmonton and across Alberta since 1962. All right, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Quick update of the NHL scoreboard. After two, the Islanders lead the Senators 2-1. Late second period, Carolina and Philadelphia 1-1. Golden Knights up 2-1 on the Blue Jackets. Canadians lead Boston 3-1 after the first. No score, L.A. and Toronto. Second period just getting started there. Late in the first period, Devils lead the Jets 1-0. He sure has the goal, his second of the season. We have an Oilers game for you tomorrow. The broadcast starts at 5. Another Oilers game on Friday. The broadcast will start at 5.30. Those are for the face-off shows. Sunday, 9.30 in the morning, countdown to kickoff. 11 o'clock kickoff as the Eskimos play Montreal in the East semifinal. And then Sunday night, we have an Oilers game as they will take on Anaheim. 5.30 face-off show game at 7. So a lot of live sports coming up here on 6.30. Chat. a lot to talk about. The Eskimos coaches show with Jason Moss is from 7.30 to 8 tonight. The Eskimos added some players today, including Jake Ceresna, pretty good defensive lineman who uh, went and tried his hand in the NFL. He's back uh, with the Eskimos. Trayvon Van joins the practice roster. That uh, You know that name from before, Jameel Smith, who was a receiver and a kick returner. So uh, I'm sure Jason will talk about if some of those guys might get in. Some text to 6.30, JP says, I used to love Kelly Rudy, but now I see what a sellout to the Flames he is. I've played every level in net below the NHL, and that little poke at the pads that Sherwood had was barely worth a shove, and it was barely even late. Lucic and the entire Flames media crew is trying to justify what will turn out to be one of the worst trades in history. Lucic is done in the NHL, unfortunately, because I feel he tries extremely hard, but the game has passed him by. Quit trying to justify his existence on your team. Calgary, come on, Kelly, you know better than to call that a dangerous play by Sherwood. Get real. That is from JP. JP, a reminder, you get Kelly Rudy once a week here on Inside Sports. And you know, JP, you will personally hurt my feelings if you don't listen to Kelly. And when I'm playing my Atari 2600, when I go home after the show, I just won't have quite as much joy if I know you're not tuning in, JP. By the way, Dig Dug or Pitfall, which would you pick, Kellen? Pitfall. <laughs> Off-topic topic tonight, favorite Atari 2600 game. You oh, Dragster 630, by far. Oh, if you pick, you only have to pick one. All right. Yeah. Dragster by far. Come on. Drag racing. Peter says, Sam Gagne is hurting the Oilers mentally. Sad that the coach and management do not see that playing Sam in Zach's spot is damaging to the whole team's ability to bond. He ought to be in the minors. That is from Peter. Mike says, Sam Gagne is one of my favorite players of all time. I think he's going to be rejuvenated on that line. And Perry says, I'm so disappointed. This is the past. We are putting a guy who spent the best part of a year and a half or so in the minors is now in our top line. Is this the best we can do? That is from Perry. Now, that's a fair comment. Uh, I, I mean, I think it's, Gagne works hard. I think he has uh, is an intelligent player. 
Is he uh, an 82-game player in the NHL anymore? Probably not. Is he a top-line player? Well, he isn't, but he's going to... I think this is a limited... I think this is a limited time offer, so to speak. But they're going to give him uh, give him a try there. I, you know, I'd like to see Cassian hopefully settle into there, but he hasn't scored. I think it's up to 13 games now. Here's the thing. The Oilers have some of the same problems they have last year. They're per- perhaps just not quite as, as large as they had last year. And that is and that is depth scoring and who scores outside of McDavid and Dreisaitl and Nugent Hopkins. Well, so far this year, Nugent Hopkins hasn't been scoring, but Neal's filled that void. I would think Nugent Hopkins is going to step up and... Well, he's shooting. He's getting chances. He's not finishing. I mean, he had another four shots last night. He's not going to shoot less than 3% over the course of the year. So I think Nugent Hopkins' goals will come. Who else is going to score? Uh, here's the thing. I think the Oilers' depth players are quicker and are more experienced than a lot of the guys they were using in those roles last year. But it's still not like they have a, an above average or very good or excellent uh, bottom six and in, in depth. They've, they've done a better job penalty killing. They have had some games where they've done a better job checking in with territory. But, it, but it's not there all the time. I think this is going to be another discussion throughout much of this season. Norman at Combine says Stampede's the best Atari game. Tim says Space Invaders. Another texter simply says, is it wrong to take joy in the flame's woes? <laughs> like, I feel like I'm the last person you should ask questions of morality to. Is it wrong to take joy in the flame's woes? <laughs> I know what my mother would say. She would say no. My mother would actively encourage you to take pleasure in the flame's woes. I can tell you that. And the woes of the Rough Riders, though the Rough Riders didn't have very many woes this season. Uh, Last night, Monday Night Football, Kevin Harlan of the Westwood One radio crew with a classic play-by-play call of a black cat coming on the field. Oh, there's a cat. A black cat has taken the field. A black cat is running from the 20 to the near side, the 10. From the 39 in Dallas, here's a short throw down the middle, caught by Ingram. Caught at the 35, went to the 30. Now the cat running the other way, and so is Ingram at the 30 to the 25, to the 24-yard line of the Dallas Cowboys. It's a catch run of 15. Now the cat is stopped at the 50. So is it bad luck for the Giants? Is it bad luck know. for the Cowboys? I don't know, but they've stopped playing. The players with hands on hips are watching the cat run and zigzag all over the field. The black cat is at the other end of the field. He's black at the cat eight. doesn't know that it was last Thursday that was Halloween. Thursday oh, night right. football, yeah, not Monday night football. He's a little bit late. Now he is sitting <laughs> and looking. Now he's at the five. He's Who brought walking. the cat? He's walking to the three. He's at the two. And the cat is in the CDW red zone. CDW, people who get it now, a policeman, a state trooper has come on the field. And the cat runs into the end zone. That is a touchdown. And the cat is elusive, kind of like Barkley and Elliott. But he didn't know where to go. Look at, they're trying to corner him. And they got him in the end zone. There are state troopers all around this cat, which now climbs up into the stands. And the fans are running for their life. Now it goes back on the field again. And it's running in the back of the end zone. And it runs up the tunnel. (laughs) That's outstanding. Kevin Harlan on Westwood One with the uh, cat on the field last night as the Cowboys took on the Giants. That that is uh, some excellent stuff. Some guests on Inside Sports, including any feline appearances we might have, 
Get gift certificates to Northern Chicken, bringing down south comfort food to Edmonton with their creative take on Southern classics spun with a modern t- twist. NorthChickenYEG.com. Oilers and Blues tomorrow. The play-by-play voice for the Blues is Chris Kerber. Chris, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing very well. Nice to have you on the show again. The last time you were on the show, it was, I believe, two days after the St. Louis Blues won the Stanley Cup. So uh, I, I guess it must have been a pretty high spirit it's summer for the for the city of St. Louis and all the longtime Blues fans. You know what? It was it was an awesome summer of celebrating of, uh, of hockey taking over the town. Uh, it was fun to watch all the videos of what this, uh, the players did with the Stanley Cup. Uh, the, the Stanley Cup made appearances all around town. I don't know that there's a team that put it in the hands of the people, honestly, more than the St. Louis Blues did. It was pretty spectacular. And then... Uh, and then we got the season rolling again. So it was a shortened off season, but a fun one. Well, and some teams have a Stanley Cup hangover. I don't think that's the case with the Blues. They're 9-3-3, three, and three, and they've won four in a row. So they appear to be picking up right where they left off, but you're seeing them play every night. How have they been looking? Well, I don't think that they have looked anywhere near the level that they would like to play, to be honest with you. And that's, that's what jumps off the page at you is at times you're going, boy, Ron O'Reilly seems a little frustrated with the start of the season, yet he's averaging a point a game. Um, you know, and it, it's just the way that this team is where they found a way to win games. They've had seven come-from-behind victories, uh, you know, going into tonight's game against the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, that, that's the most in the league. So they're chasing the games a little bit more than they would like, um, you know, but they're finding ways to win. And, and you know what, and, and even though, they, they brought back essentially the same team. Pat Maroon obviously signed with Tampa. And then the Blues traded away Joel Edmondson for Justin Falk. So they're getting used to a new guy on defense, uh, whether it be right now with Vladimir Tarasenko out, Robert Thomas or Sammy Blay or uh, or Zach Sanford or Robbie Fabry, Mackenzie McEachern. Somebody new is on every single line that the Blues have, are, are have right now. And then they're trying to figure out some of that chemistry. Vladimir Tarasenko, shoulder surgery, will be out several months. I'm not going to ask who replaces him because it's pretty hard to replace a a shooter of that ability. But who are they hoping kind of steps up or maybe a combination of players that might uh, step up and fill that scoring void that he leaves? Well, it's going to have to come from everybody. I mean, and that includes some of the new guys and some of the veterans. You're right. You're not just going to turn around and replace him. Uh, and it's not just going to be one guy that all of a sudden because a chance shows up and scores 40 goals. Uh, that, that almost never happens, if ever. So, um, you know, I, I think what you have to look at, and, and actually everybody initially is going to look at all the young players. Well, there's room for Robert Thomas now in the top six, which is very true. Sammy Blaze had a pretty solid start to his first full season in the National Hockey League. Can Zach Sanford bring consistency? You know, that it made him a second-round pick of the Washington Capitals. It, all those kind of questions are good. All those kind of questions are fair. But I think if you look at the lineup for the St. Louis Blues and you look at the goal totals right now of Jaden Schwartz, of Alexander Steen, um, even Oscar Sundquist, Ivan Barbashev, Colton Pareko's gone 36 games into tonight's action without a goal, Justin Falk, the, all those guys put, put all the fence done. Put them all, you know, in the hat, and you realize there is a ton of offense to be had by that whole group of veteran players um, that that needs to help pick up the slack, not just the young guys. So it, it will be kind of done by committee, which is why I think we're going to continue to see a little bit of a carousel 
when it comes to who is going to be on the right side of that line with Braden Shen and Jaden Schwartz for a while. Teams and athletes often talk about dealing with failure and getting through tough times. When you've won the Stanley Cup, you're dealing with success. Everybody would like to have it. It's it's a nice problem to have, but you know, like we were talking about, sometimes it, it can have lingering effects or create a little bit of malaise. How has Craig Berube handled being the, the coach of the defending champions? Has, has he changed his tactics or his approach to coaching at all? Uh, not one bit, and I don't think he can. Uh, as, you know, it's a great question, actually, but I'm, I flip it around. I actually wonder how many coaches around the National Hockey League right now have changed their approach based on what they saw from Craig Berube last year. And it's a, it's a good question to ask because Craig was just so direct, so straightforward in terms of accountability, whether you were a Tarasenko or a Sundquist. Uh, he didn't care whether you were a Gen Z or a Gen Xer or a millennial, whatever. He goes, you're just hockey players. The one thing he wanted was hard work and put team in front of everything else. And and he demanded it. And then, you know, of course, on the ice, he made adjustments, and they were very good ones. Just about every adjustment he seemed to make in the playoffs last year seemed to work. Um, you know, so there is the tactical part of it. There is the smart hockey man part of it. Um, but he definitely figured out how to motivate a group of, you know, 23 different individuals on a given night. So uh, I haven't seen any change in him. I think where he has to be aware, I, I think Doug Armstrong – uh, did some research, obviously, and talked to some of his counterparts that have had success in the month of October that they were worried about. It was going into the month of November to December that they're worried about the cup playing over where the energy tends to zap you a little bit. Now, this team's on the middle of a road trip that's going to keep them on the road for nine days. We've already had a road trip of 10 days. So it's a couple really, really long road trips for this hockey team, and they've got to find a way to manage it. And so far from what I've seen with Craig Berube, he's done a fantastic job. I think he would like to crack the whip a little bit more because I don't think he's seeing the overall level of play that he wants. And he said that, you know, coming into action tonight, you've won four in a row. You've won, you know, six of your last seven games. You're in first place in the Central Division. You can only do so much that's going to get heard, and I think he's smart enough to figure that out. It's going to be interesting tomorrow. You mentioned the Blues coming from behind. The Oilers have done that several times this year as well. I, I don't know. They can't both be behind in the third period tomorrow. <laughs> Somebody, <laughs> well, they both could find themselves behind at some point in the third period. That's true. That's true. Could go back and forth. Chris, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for being so generous with your time here as you're getting ready for a broadcast tonight, and I'll see you at the rink tomorrow. All right, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on again. Always great to have Chris Kerber on the show, play-by-play voice for the St. Louis Blues on ESPN Radio. The Blues play Vancouver tonight, here in Edmonton tomorrow, 5 o'clock face-off show on 6.30, Chad. The game is at 6.30. Favorite Atari 2600 game. we got to vote for Galaga. And Jet Solver says there can only be one. Asteroids, after getting a million points and my mom taking a Polaroid, I retired from gaming. Go out on top. That is amazing. <laughs> he got his mom to take a Polaroid, and he retired from... Like, seriously, Jet Solver, you have not, not played a video game since. So that must have been, what, mid-'80s he got the million points? That's amazing. That's remarkable. That uh, Jet Solver is the, uh, the the 630 Chet Inside Sports achiever of the evening. Love it. He gets a uh, life-sized autographed poster of Reed Wilkins. Congratulations, Jet Solver. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. King's Court coming up. Hi, this is Leon Dreisaitl from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. This is run to you by Brian Adams. Brian Adams turns 60 years of age today. Happy birthday. Just process that for a while. Rogers place tonight. Good game. Two best teams in the WHL face off in a few minutes. Oil Kings will host Prince Albert. The Kings Court with Ryan King brought to you by Dynasty Builders. Designing the custom home of your dreams. Available now exclusively in Landrex Community. to another episode of King's Court on 630 Chet. I'm your host, Ryan King, and today I've dedicated this episode to the medical side of our team. As all of you sit back and watch us all run out of the tunnel on game day, there's a lot more that goes into getting us all healthy and able to get us on the field. Putting our game day roster together, it consists of 44 active players, two healthy scratches, and everyone else has to be designated either on the practice roster or the one or six game injured list. Obviously our injured list depending on how many injuries we currently have on the roster, but in the locker room, we have two awards that you can win in regards to the medical side of things. One is the Bone Healer Award. The Bone Healer Award goes to the player that goes above and beyond their duties and responsibilities when it comes to rehabbing an injury. Now these injuries are usually ones that are career-ending or long-term injuries. For example, JC shared a couple seasons ago tore his Achilles during the season and actually came back and was medically cleared to play in a playoff game. The second is the Bone Grinder Club. The Bone Grinder Club is for all the players that are active and play in all 18 regular season games. Now there are never more than about 20 players that make this list, so that means that half of our roster gets hurt every single season. Now Nate Hay, who is our head athletic therapist, along with two full-time therapists, Donnie and Miles, with a team of highly recognized doctors, manage and treat a wide range of minor and serious injuries throughout the year. Now obviously it's depending on what kind of injury you get, is which doctor you deal with and which medical staff that treats you. So let's hear from Nate Hay, our head athletic therapist, and get a little more insight into the medical side of our roster. I got involved with the Eskimos by uh, working uh, U of A football as a student, and uh, the head athletic therapist at the time was looking for um, an assistant, and I got recommended by the head athletic therapist at the U of A. And uh, how long have you been with the Eskimos? And uh, just give us a little breakdown of uh, your time here. Uh, this is my 12th season. I started in 2008 for two years as the assistant, and then I've been the head trainer for since 2010. And yeah, that's it. Uh, game days. Uh, obviously, you guys are super busy. You got a staff of people, and uh, let's just go through a quick little um, what are your duties on game day? 
Uh, game day duties involve um, getting the field ready, getting all the supplies outside that we need for emergency care, um, making sure everything is safe and ready to go, player prep, getting everyone soft tissue and taping, um, all the stuff we need to do to get the players on the field, um, spatting, which is tape over the shoes, and, and then taking care of all the players for anything that happens on the field. And I think a lot of people don't understand that uh, we got 46 guys that are on the field. It goes a lot of work into getting those guys prepared, but there's a lot of guys that are off our roster and not playing. Um, you guys are dealing with those guys day in, day out, trying to get them back as fast as possible. Um, you guys do a great job at that, and uh, let's move into the road game prep. Uh, we got a road game coming up. How much prep goes into uh, traveling with the team? It always amazes me what goes into traveling for one football game, the amount of stuff that we have. We try to have everything that we have at home. We try to have it on the road as well so that everybody is comfortable and has everything that they need. So we travel with a large quantity of stuff and um, there's all the packing, getting everything ready. Um, again, prep for all the players who are not traveling, who may be injured and taking care of the guys on the road. So having the correct supplies, tape, all the different things that we have at home, having that on the road. So there's a lot of stuff that goes into one football game. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, on game day, um, how early are you at the stadium? And, um, you know, obviously you got to get everyone prepped to play the game. Um, let's give a little game day routine. On game days, we try to be at the stadium five hours before. Uh, we start with, um, we come in five hours before and then um, start, like I said, start on the field prep and start working with the guys who are not playing, who are doing the workouts, and then um, moving into treatments on the guys who are playing. And then, like I said, taping and uh, spatting and, and getting everybody ready from there. So you guys are uh, obviously very busy uh, in practices and traveling and on games. Uh, you guys got a good little uh, pre-game night uh, routine. Do you guys go out and eat with all the trainers or what do you guys do night before? Usually day before a game is my weekend. It's the day that I have the most time off between times I have to be here. So I'm usually at home with my family, with my kids. Pretty pretty fun stuff. There you go. Okay, appreciate all the hard work you do, Nate, and uh, coming on the show. No problem. Thanks for having me. And thank you for listening to another episode of King's Court on 630 Jet. Stay tuned next week for another episode. That's presented by Dynasty Builders, designing the custom home of your dreams, available now exclusively in Landrex communities. More on the Eskimos with the Coaches Show at 7.30. We talked about this story with the FIBA 3x3 basketball on Friday with the Ploop sisters and Team Canada being left out of the Women's Olympic Qualifying Tournament. Paul Sir with Basketball Alberta will have more after the news. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.